Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Too many of us are led by too many people who refuse to do the right thing. And now at least 30 states have surging coronavirus cases. And here's the really scare part of the potential impact of the mismanagement. The CDC thinks there may be 10 times as many of us sickened by COVID than what's actually reported. Think about that. It would mean that it could be 20 million of us, not 2 million plus. And yes, of course, the president owns it. Why? He is Mr. Masks or Weakness. He is Mr. Do the Minimum to help states protect people. But he's sending marshals to protect statues that honor racist figures from our past. And no, I'm not talking about Lincoln and Washington and Jefferson. And you know it. Find me another time a president faced a problem like this and chose to encourage people to do what would expose them to more risk. He did it his own way, not the government way, says his campaign ad. And you know what? Something from Trump is finally telling you the truth. He did do it his own way. He ignored the danger. He held rallies. And if you have a mask on, the move every expert he picked recommends, he takes it as a personal affront. Now, don't go saying, well, he doesn't know. It's not about ignorance. How do we know? A White House official says to CNN that Trump knows masks matter, but he thinks the image looks bad for him politically. Want more proof of his perfidy, perfidy, faithlessness to his office? He tells you, no mask needed. But everyone close to him wears a mask. Says, test less. I tell my guys, test less. All around him, get tested. It's overblown. It's the left. Now he has multiple secret service in quarantine. Need more? All his campaign staffers, all who attended his rally in Oklahoma Saturday, are now quarantined. Eight of them tested positive. Did he make them all sign waivers too? Don't sue? Remember, he told people to come to the rally, made wearing masks absurd, then had them sign waivers in case they got sick. You tell me that that is not the worst leadership imaginable. But the blame goes beyond Trump. Why? And what about the leaders around him and his party? You hear that? That's them telling him to shut up with the mask madness. And when they do speak, here's ranking Republican McCarthy request to a no-brainer question. Here's his response to a question about whether or not it's good for a president to call COVID Kung Flu. As the president has been describing the coronavirus, he's been calling it the Kung Flu. Do you think that's an appropriate way to characterize the coronavirus? Do you think that's the most pressing issue you have about the coronavirus? Think about that. I know, but what I'm thinking about is why that is your most pressing issue as a question. Well, when we just seen a question? spike in coronavirus, you're concerned about somebody and the way they name it. You're, that's appalling to me. Why, you know why, what? I think we should all focus, learn more about this disease, and stop this virus. Well, So no, that's not my biggest concern. My biggest concern is the safety of Americans. And that's what I look forward to. Testing be ramped up. Thank you all very much. I appreciate the time. You don't appreciate anything. 
and you should get right back to that podium because we know you don't have the gumption to come on a show like this. You hide, you go to state TV, you stay quiet. Big man, Mr. McCarthy, strong, strong leadership, tells everybody all the time, I'm not afraid of Trump, I'm not afraid of anything. Come on the show and tell me that you're appalled by questions about Kung Flu. I'll tell you what's appalling. You haven't said a damn thing about what this president has been misleading America about, and you know it. Think about if it were your daughters. Think about it. Would you want them going with no mask? Would you tell them masks are weakness? Is that what you're doing for them? How about your parents? How about your vulnerable people in your family? You telling them, go on out there. Take a deep breath. What's the worst that can happen? What do you have to lose? You're appalled. You are appalling. You're not appalled. You're not appalled at all. You ducked the question because you can't risk your fealty to the president because he keeps you in power. You fear him. You're one of those politicians that does things out of a fear of consequence. You're not about good conscience. Prove me wrong. Show me where you said the president's wrong to talk down about masks. We have to do better. We have to contact Trace. Where is it? Where have you said it? We need to learn more about the disease. You're not applying what you already know. And why? That's the question. We don't need to know any more about what we need to do. You want to see proof of it? People who sang the Trump song to show this absurd, this perversion of Republicanism. Republicans aren't about flouting science. Republicans aren't about not caring about the facts. This is a fringe. That's what it is. And when they play the game more and more, they're getting burned. The governor of Texas, listen to him now. I know that some people feel that wearing a mask is inconvenient or that it is like an infringement of freedom. But I also know that wearing a mask will help us to keep Texas open. You went too soon, you played the game, you got burned, and now you want to play it the right way. But you're late and the cost is real and it may come in lives. So now he's got to grind it to a halt. You remember on this show, you remember us reaching out to him and to having different mayors, because again, he wouldn't come on. These guys have so much to say as long as nobody questions what is said. As soon as they have to account for their decisions and their arguments, just state TV, nodding heads. Mm, yes, masks are mind controlled, yes. Come on. Hospitals inundated with an explosion of patients we're so surprised. What surprise? What did you think would happen? You played politics instead of protecting people. And there should be a price. Take a look at Houston. It could become the hardest hit city in America soon. And there is no reason we needed to be here. None. We had advance warning. Houston is a sophisticated place. Texas is a sophisticated place. Plenty of resources, plenty of foresight. But here we are. Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner. Sir, thank you for uh, coming to primetime. Thank you for taking the opportunity. Uh, I am not hanging on you uh, the mantle of what got you here. Um, but now you have to figure out how to get out of it. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I've been covering your state from jump on this. And Abbott was right up there with the Trump talk of 
oh, you know, this isn't that bad. Oh, you know, we got, we got to keep everything open. You know I mean? We, we don't need to do this kind of isolation. Nothing extreme. We're open and early because we're strong. Don't mess with Texas. How'd that work out? Well, Chris, it's not working out too well at this moment. I will tell you when, uh, when New York shut down in, in March, the city of Houston shut down as well. Uh, the end of April, our numbers were, were quite good. Relatively speaking, they were quite good. Um, through May, quite good. We started opening up in May. I will agree that uh, it was my opinion then we were opening too quickly, too soon. Um, and now in June, just like in the last 10 days, uh, our numbers have been exponentially increasing. Today, uh, I reported an additional 924 positive cases. Yesterday, it was uh, around 900. Monday, it was 1,700. In the last seven days, we have added about 7,000 new cases, and the numbers continue to rise. And you're going to have the lagging indicators of the God forbids. Um, you're going to have the hospitalizations, right? First, it's symptoms. Then it's testing, and you get positive cases. Yeah. And or you start to see them showing up at the hospitals and getting tested positive. And then you have the God forbids the people who get stuck on the and ventilators that. and worse. Now, Mr. Mayor, first things uh, yes. first here is the human angle. You, your family, your team, how's everybody doing? Thanks. Thanks for asking, Chris. My family is good. Look, I watch you and your story and what you went through. Um, saw the mayor last night from Miami as well. Good friend and what he has gone through. My family is, my family is good. But uh, look, I have 2.3 million people in the city of Houston. That They're I your family too. Family. Absolutely. And, and I've heard that. I've heard that, you know, look, I've been in Houston so much reporting uh, over the years. Uh, I have enjoyed the culture in Dallas and Houston. Not the same, but I've been all over the state from east to west, north to south. Um, my fire here is not about politics. It's the God forbid of people having to go through what I went through or worse when it wasn't necessary. I see nobody, uh, I don't want anybody to gain or lose because of coronavirus. But do you have any doubt in your mind that if masks had been in place and you had done the social distancing and gone slower that you'd be in a better place today? No, I have no doubt. What we did in, in uh, shutting down early, uh, putting on the mask, social distancing, proper hygiene, all of those things working in combination were working. Will the, the numbers scare April. people enough to do the right thing, Mr. Mayor? Well, I'm, I'm hoping that they, that they are. We are certainly are, are letting people know that we're moving quickly in the wrong direction. Look, this is Houston. When we work together, we were able to, to do great things. And we managed, we flattened this, this virus uh, towards the end of April. The numbers were going down. Uh, so it was working. Now the numbers are moving in the right direction. We open up quickly, too soon. We start re-socializing, coming back together, fueling this virus. And this virus is reminding us every day that it never left us, uh, that it loves closeness, and the numbers are starting to tick up. And now we need to get on top of it. And we are knowing two to three weeks, uh, if people put back on their masks, keep the masks on, engage in social distancing, whether or not that will help to stop uh, the, the, the exponential increase of this virus. In Houston, are masks a maybe or a must in terms of the law? Well, just last week, uh, the governor uh, gave the local authorities back some power to require to uh, require commercial businesses to require their employees and visitors to put on masks. We don't have the authority to require every individual in groups to put on their masks. Only those individuals, those businesses, for their employees and their visitors. 
So that order, those, those local orders have gone into effect now. And we are encouraging people, uh, sending out the inspectors, monitoring and, and making sure that the businesses are complying uh, with that order. It doesn't go nearly as far as I would like it to go, uh, but hopefully uh, we are now engaged in a very active PR campaign, encouraging all people in the city of Houston when they're engaged with others to put on their masks. And I'm hoping and praying and asking the people of the city of Houston uh, to do just that. We know that putting on masks works. We know that. And I'm hoping Houstonians will do it. More importantly, you know what happens when you don't use them now. Uh, Mayor Turner, God bless you and your family and your extended family, all 2.3 million of them uh, as well. I know Abbott tied your hands. I know he still has one hand tied because you can only deal with businesses. But hopefully people don't need uh, to be punished. They just know that it's the right thing now and that it was hype that they didn't need the mask. And hopefully people in Texas have always been smart and they'll come together like they have many times in the past. God bless you all down there. We'll stay on the story. Thank you, Chris. God bless you. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah, look, and for all of you, I'm not pointing the finger. Um, I wish you well. I wish you safety. I wish you good health. Please, please wear the masks. It's not about politics. It's about people. Take care of yourself. Take care of the people in your communities and your families. God forbid you go through what I and my family did or worse. God forbid. I hope it happens to none of you, but you're asking for it. Public health experts like Dr. Fauci, they warned us. The virus sets the timeline for reopening. We don't, but we didn't listen. And we do know that distancing works. We do know that masks work. We let our guard down and it was a mistake. So what do we do now? We have to do better. Another health authority will help drill into why this is happening and what we know we can do to stop it. It is not too late. We're just taking too long. Next. Please, let's all come together and fight fringe thinking. Coronavirus doesn't just hit big areas. It's not just a blue state or a left-right problem. Here's the proof. Please look at this map. Cases at the county level. Ooh, that's confused. No, do it by shade. You see all the red and what the legend tells you red means? It means areas large and small are seeing a high number of infections, especially in the South and the Southwest. And it looks bad because it is. The reality, however, is even worse because of this CDC announcement today. To me, it's the headline of the day. Cases could be 10 times the number we know about. Why? because we're still not testing enough. Trump says we should slow the testing down. Yeah, because he believes the more you know about the reality, the worse it will be for him and the recovery he believes he needs. We can't allow that kind of leadership. You need proof of the argument? Let's bring in an expert, Dr. William Schaffner. Uh, He is in one of those bright red areas right now. Welcome back to primetime, Doc. I hope uh, that the family is well, that your team is well. Everything's well here, and uh, you sound great, Chris. Good. I'm upset because I do not want to see people have to suffer what I and my family did or worse because they buy into misinformation. The idea that masks, we don't really need it. And in truth, this really just hits the big cities and the big dense areas. I mean, isn't that kind of thinking fueling part of what we're seeing? Yeah, for sure. You know, when the virus first came here, it did go to the big cities and we had hotspots, New York, New Orleans, Miami. And then it slowly began to seep out into middle sized cities, Nashville. And now it's getting out to 
smaller cities, small towns, to very rural areas. And what I'm concerned about, since the virus is now seeded throughout the United States, come the fall, when it kicks up again, it's going to kick up everywhere. And small rural hospitals will find themselves taking care of COVID patients that they can't transfer to the major medical centers because the intensive care units there are already full. Chris, I, I, I hate to be grim, but I'm afraid the second wave this fall could be worse than the first wave that we're still experiencing. I mean, look, it's just, it's just so sickening because we didn't have to be here. And we cannot count on leadership from the top to get us out of it. Um, but that's why I'm making an appeal to the state leadership, uh, not just my brother. I'll have them on from anywhere, any municipal level, to talk about what the right measures are to kind of spread the word. Um, and that's why I was so happy to have you on tonight to talk about this new CDC headline. Uh, the number could be 10 times more. What does this tell us about what we've learned about testing and what we need to do in terms of testing to get a better handle on this? Well, clearly testing needs to expand even further. We need to make sure that everyone who's ill with appropriate symptoms gets access to a test. We need to focus tests where they're needed, nursing homes, uh, prisons, institutions such as businesses where there are outbreaks, um, migrant agricultural workers, high-risk populations to really find out what the extent of the infection is here in the United States. It's out there. It's spreading much more widely than even the statistics show. Mm. And everybody keeps saying on the federal level, you know, we're doing more than anybody else. It's not true. It's not true. We need to do better. And the cases are telling the story. Look at us compared to the rest of the world. Dr. Schaffner, thank you uh, for being a steady ship in a storm. Always appreciate it. Good to be with you. All right. Now, we can keep our eye on multiple balls, right? There's another case that we have to focus on here because it is an example of how everything that happens seems so wrong, and yet it doesn't lead to any real action when it comes to reforming policing in America. A case out of Colorado that you probably haven't heard about, it happened back in 2019, an unarmed black man who died after Getting into it with the police, we'll talk about why. His name was Elijah McLean. It's getting renewed attention. I argue for good reason, but we have to talk to the people who know. How about the local prosecutor who said the proof wasn't there to file any charges? He's here to explain. Next. Elijah McLean, another name that now must be on the list. 23-year-old, died in police custody last August 2019 in the Denver suburb of Aurora. His case had been closed. After more than two million people signed a petition for a new investigation, Colorado's governor is now re-examining what happened. Here's some of what we know. McLean was stopped by three officers, white officers, as he walked home from a convenience store. A 911 caller had reported seeing a suspicious person wearing a mask. And indeed, McLean was wearing a ski mask. See him? He's not holding up the store, by the way. The video makes it clear he's standing in line and he buys his things, pays, leaves, has a mask on. Why? Why does he have a mask on? Because 
supposedly he had anemia and would sometimes get cold. I think there's going to be another suggestion for why he did this and a lot of other things. A look at the body camera footage shows how the situation escalated with the police. Stop. 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 I have a right to stop you because you're being suspicious. Turn around. Turn around. Turn around. Stop. Stop tensing up, dude. Stop tensing up, bro. Stop tensing up. Stop tensing up. Stop tensing up. Let go of me. No, I am an introvert. Please respect the boundaries that I am speaking. Yeah, you know what? That's enough of it. I do not need to bathe you and you know what's about to happen. He's not going to listen. There are going to be more officers. They're going to get on him. One of them's going to choke him. You're going to hear an officer say, hey, dude, he grabbed your gun. In that kind of tone, not, he grabbed your gun. Hey, dude, he grabbed your gun. You don't see any grabbing of the gun. Why? Because the body camera, uh, the body cameras had fallen in the grass. I'm not saying that that's suspicious. I'm just saying you don't see it. Two questions. Did they have good reason? to stop him based on the legal standard of having a reasonable suspicion he had committed a crime or was about to or had just? Or was it just as clear as the guy may have something wrong with him? Second question, once they decided to treat him like a potential criminal and not a potential uh, mental health care case, was a chokehold necessary? They call it a carotid restraint, whatever. It's a fancy name for choking them, okay? And they say, oh, you know, it's done to help get control. It's helped to make somebody pass out. And that's exactly what happened here. And that's why Colorado outlawed chokeholds just a few weeks ago. Paramedics show up. They sedate him with a drug that's a little controversial. The police report says McLean had a heart attack on the way to the hospital. Declared brain dead three days later. Officers are put on administrative leave. No one's fired. All reinstated after prosecutors said, it's just not there. Can't really tell it was a homicide. Can't really tell that it was justifiable or not. How can everything go so wrong and yet everything turn out right for the officers? Ten months later, outcry on social media prompting an independent investigation. The governor announced it today. McLean's loved ones remember a gentle and kind soul who worked as a massage therapist and loved to play the violin to animals at his shelter. You heard him on the body cam. He was on his way home. He was listening to music. The officer said he had superhuman strength. He had weed in his system and ketamine, the drug they gave him, nothing else. The uh, person who did the autopsy or one of the medical professionals for the police said he was about 100 kilograms. That's 220 pounds, what I weigh. His actual weight? 140. He was unarmed. How can everything seem so wrong and yet nothing happen? The district attorney on the case originally cleared the officers of wrongdoing. Why? He's going to tell us right after this. The Elijah McLean case is going to get a second look at the state level. Now, the district attorney who said he could not bring a good case wanted to speak out about why. He did so uh, in written form, and now he wants to make the case to you. That is District Attorney Dave Young joining us now. Uh, Sir, thank you for taking the opportunity. I'm not here to come at you with hot breath. Uh, This is all uh, very sad, and uh, we hear that all the time. 
But this is one of those situations where I need you to help my audience understand why everything seems like it was handled so wrong, and yet everything wound up being okay for the officers. Why was what they did and how they stopped him, their decision to stop and how they treated him and what happened, how was that all justifiable in your, in your explanation? Well, good evening, Chris, and I'm more than happy to explain that. But I think, first of all, I need to explain what my role is in the investigation. Can you um, hear the district attorney better than I can? Dave, can I want to make okay? sure it's just me who can't hear you. Can you hear the district attorney? All right, you guys can hear him. I'm going to just turn, I'm just going to turn you up. All right, if the audience can hear you, keep going, please, sir. Oh, sure. Now we're good. So my role- Thank you. In this investigation, was to determine whether or not I can prove a criminal violation in the state of Colorado beyond a reasonable doubt in front of a jury. That's mm-hmm. my role in the case. I'm not here to condone their actions. In fact, I disagree with what they did on the night of August 24th, 2019. Understood. So, so DA, I, let's just do it step by step so people can understand the legal analysis from your perspective. Um, they, get a, they get a call, there's a guy in a mask. They show up, there is a guy in a mask. He is acting in a completely normal way from what we can see on the video. Um, I think by most indications, as soon as you contact this man, you should have known with any kind of training, forget about this. This is when he was in the store. You can't see what I'm putting on TV. Uh, This is him just buying his stuff. Uh, The officers didn't have the benefit of this at this time. But the man they encounter is carrying a bag with his phone, walking home. He says, listening to music. What makes him suspicious of criminality in your mind? Well, you're missing a very critical point. We had a citizen call 911 mm-hmm. saying man with a mask on acting suspicious. Right. And 911 is what triggered the officers to go officers to go to the scene. Without right. that 911 call, the officers don't have contact with Elijah McCain. But a 911 call is not a prima facie basis for reasonable suspicion of criminality. Well, the officers do not know that at that time, Chris. No, but the then, officers they con- then they contact they get. Well, they get dispatched by a right. dispatcher and says, we just had a reporting party say there's a suspicion, suspicious person walking down the street with a ski mask on. Yes, which they find. They up and they go out to investigate that. Yes, and they find him and they walk up to him and he says, I'm going home. And they say, well, no. And he says, why are you stopping me? And the cop says, because you're acting suspiciously. How? How? What is reasonable well, in the assessment of his suspicion? Now, see, you're doing exactly what I cannot do. You have the privilege of knowing everything that was going on with Elijah McClain at the convenience store and everywhere else. The officers have no idea what Elijah McClain's doing at the time. They see a man in a mask, mask matching the description that someone called 911 about. And they're going up to him to investigate. You're right. They and they walk right- up to him. And you don't get to just put your hands on somebody because somebody on 911 called and said, there's a masked man asking suspicious. You don't get to stop me on that alone. We both know that. You need more. No, you've, you've got to have a reasonable suspicion, which someone calling 911 and saying there's a suspicious person out there. And then they try to contact him. And of course, he's got headphones on and can't hear them. But the officers do not know that. The officers think he is ignoring them and not complying with their commands. And then they start so they, and then they start to tussle. And here's the next material fact. They start to tussle and he starts saying this bizarre stuff. I'm being censored. I'm being censored. I'm being. Look, we both know 
being in this business for as long as we have been, that that is bizarre talk of someone who's obviously deranged. And yet they treat him as what we hear all the time. He had superhuman strength. It took all of us to take him down. He reached for a gun, which the officer says in the following tone of voice, he reached for your gun, dude. And that is enough to put a chokehold on a guy with three officers. How justified? Well, let me tell you what's going on with this case. First of all, the officers have no idea. They have no knowledge about Elijah McClain. They don't know anything about him. And they're in a situation where they have to react to everything mm. that's happening right in front of them. Not your problem, DA, well, but part I, of the problem. By the way, just to step sideways, this is proof it, that but, cops shouldn't be called to every kind of stop. When you have a mental health case like this, they should stop what they're doing and call in people who know how to deal with this if they're not going to be able to train uh, the officers to deal with it. But that's not your problem. Keep going with your analysis. Are you saying that officers shouldn't respond to 911 calls no. and investigate? No, no. That the world no, no. Clever device, DA, but that's not what I said at all. What I'm saying is that well, when, it, when a 911 call comes in and you come and you see someone who is clearly acting in a deranged manner, you stop. Don't treat him like a criminal. Treat him like he may be sick. Don't make up things about him carrying a plastic bag that may have been filled with weapons and call in a mental health person, seeing how you don't obviously have the training because you're about to treat him like he's some kind of savage and he's going to wind up dead. So maybe there's a better way to do it. That's what I'm saying. But that's not your analysis. If you want to explain my decision, I'm more than happy. To. Go if ahead. Go ahead. That's why I said it was a step sideways. Not your but issue, but an let issue. Me, let me tell you, my role in this whole investigation is to determine whether or not a criminal charge should be filed. Yes. And the criminal charges I'm looking at are homicide. We've got several different theories of homicide here mm -hmm. in Colorado, but in each and every one of those theories of homicide, I must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that those officers caused the death of Elijah McClain. Mm -hmm. And you should know, don't know already that the forensic autopsy report cannot determine the cause of death of Mr. McClain. Right. So how in the world I file homicide charges when I can't prove that critical element beyond a reasonable doubt, the cause of death. Who says you can't? A pathologist report is just one aspect of an investigation. And he didn't rule anything out either. He said it could have been homicide, could have been accidental, could have been natural. He doesn't really know. He looked at the drugs in the system. He saw marijuana and ketamine. Based on speculation. I speculation. You could have investigated more. So you're saying well, if a pathologist doesn't give you a home run, you never go forward with a case. And by the way, there was no injuries to him whatsoever. He's no dead. Serious he's dead. Well, yeah, if you want to say the forensic pathologist doesn't know what he's doing, you could say that all you want. No, but that's, that's what you were saying to get away from my question. You're saying there are no injuries. The guy's dead. So clearly things happened to him that were wrong, Mr. DA. Yeah, he's got a heart that's got a very narrow valve, an aorta valve, and he probably most likely died from excited delirium. Hmm. Where didn't, he had they a heart us, didn't they teach us something in law school called the eggshell plaintiff that you take somebody no. as you find them? And if you choke, some, if you choke somebody and they have a, a condition with their carotid artery and they die, that that should be part of the analysis of whether the force was justified. No, that's not correct. Why not? Because I have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the actions of those officers killed Elijah McClain. What if and they, I do that? What if you could just show that it contributed to it? And that forensic autopsy report and the forensic pathologist who indicated to detectives that this young man could have died the next day by mowing his lawn. 
How do I overcome that? Uh, that that is, I do not see that in the report anywhere, but I'm giving you, you, you are, I'm not giving you anything. You are correct that the pathologist couldn't make a solid determination on why he died. I'm not disputing that at all. In fact, I'm not disputing any of your analyses. I'm just trying to take people through why this happened. I'm not here to roast you. I feel for your position. I just want to help people understand. But he did not say the guy could have dropped dead mowing his lawn the next day, not in any of the stuff that you offered. He said he found weed in his system, so I don't get where the superhuman strength comes from with a five, six, 140-pound guy. Um, he put his estimated weight at 100 kilograms. He was off by 80 pounds on the guy's weight. Um, so, you know, th- that's not the best, uh, that's not the best uh, kind of indication of good judgment. But just because he doesn't give you that this is exactly why he died doesn't mean that you couldn't investigate for a contributory role in the man's death. You have criminally negligent homicide in Colorado. You still have to prove that they caused his death by their negligence acts. But you don't uh, think the, the choke had that, anything to do with why he died? There were no injuries to his neck. The man was alive after that happened. But then why do you think he died? Well, that's the question that we don't know. And in my business, I can't take a case to court that we don't know the answers to those questions. It's as simple as that. Well, but don't you put those questions to the jury and you believe that when you put together their actions with a very questionable, reasonable basis for suspicion of criminality, other than the mask and a 911 call, which was not proven to be clear by what they found when they contacted him. The guy was just walking down the street. Not very suspicious behavior to me, except for the fact that he's got a mask on. I haven't even mentioned his color because I don't need to. The facts alone suggest judgment that was in question. They then choke a guy, even though they have three officers on him, and the guy's 5'6", 140 pounds, and not Bruce Lee. And then he winds up well, dead, and you don't if, think they had you, anything to do with it? If you look at the officer's statements, they all indicated that he lifted them all up off the ground. Now, whether or not that happened, I don't know. But that's the evidence that's in front of me. That's the evidence that a jury would see. And that's what I based my decision on. And no, no they, they would hear I, that testimony I, as cross-examined by someone hey, like you, who's got I, a great I, reputation, Mr. Young, for being that. a great cross-examiner. Well, I've been doing this for 30 years. I know. And, uh, and I think I know a little bit more about this business than most people who have opinions on this case. I cannot take a case to the jury where I don't know what the cause of death is on a homicide case. I don't even have serious bodily injury. So I, don't, I can't even take a felony assault charge to a jury based on the lack of injuries. So what I'm left with is a potential third degree assault, which is a class one misdemeanor. And that's where I want to get into the reasonable suspicious activities that led these officers to do what they did. And you can't look at it as an investigation as a whole. You got to put yourself in those officers' shoes at the time. That's what the case law says. That's what the statutory law says. So you think what they did, you don't like how they did it, but that speaks to the job and the standards of the job, not what you can call a crime. Absolutely right. I don't approve what they did. I wish they would have sat in their car and watched them walk home. We wouldn't be having this discussion. And Elijah McClain may be still alive right now. But that in all likelihood would be alive. Um, But so you don't see that decision to not stay in the car and approach it a different way as failing to meet the standard for the initial stop, which is reasonable suspicion of a crime. 
No, I do not because they are responding to a 911 call and they're going to investigate that situation. And you can see from the body camera footage, the officers is trying to have a conversation with him. They're saying, calm down, dude. We just want to talk. We just want to talk. And as things escalate in the officer's minds, I got to determine whether or not it's reasonable that they think there might be a reason to pat him down because they don't know if he has a weapon on him. Mm. They don't know anything about it. To me, it just speaks to them being so bad at their job, not knowing how to de-escalate, not understand that they're dealing with a mentally ill person. But again, that's not your problem, uh, Mr. DA. And I want you to know something. These aren't easy conversations to have. I'm not here to take you down. It's not me versus you. It's the key is the we. We got to have these conversations. People have to understand the process and why the decisions were made as they were. Otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere. And I appreciate you coming on to make your case. I bet. All right. I appreciate it. I'm not here to make it easy, but I'm here to be fair. We'll be right back. Okay. The president is campaigning in Wisconsin. One big reason or polls like this would show him behind double digits. Hmm. Tough to believe. Why? Well, Trump won in a squeaker in Wisconsin against Clinton. But we have the mayor of Green Bay here. And the reason I wanted him was because he put out an open letter to Trump saying, don't be talking that no mask madness when you come to campaign here, because even though cases had peaked about a month ago, they're starting to go up once again. The mayor, as you see, is joining us now. Uh, Eric Genrick, it's good to have you on primetime. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. First, convince me to believe in the poll. Uh, he won by almost 11 percent percentage points in your county, uh, where Green Bay is, uh, Brown County. Uh, do you feel that your state has changed its political disposition since four years ago, three years ago? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, obviously, Wisconsin is well known as, as a purple state. Um, but, uh, you know, our last presidential election was the first time that we'd gone Republican since 1984. Um, so I would expect a return to form um, this fall, and I do expect a, a Democratic victory in November. Mm. Uh, now, uh, look, the pandemic is going to play large for people in terms of how they feel on the state and federal level uh, this was handled. Uh, the r return or the resurgence of cases seems to be linked to a relaxing of isolation uh, and mask wearing. What is your concern about what the president is going to say and what do you want people to know? Well, I do think it's, it's incredibly unfortunate that the president has chosen to politicize the act of wearing a mask. It's an incredibly empathetic uh, step to take. Um, you know, the, the idea that wearing a mask is somehow a political statement is absurd when, of course, you have the CDC and, uh, and public health experts all the way from the national level down to the local level encouraging people to wear masks. If the president had taken the same step, had uh, all along been encouraging people um, to, to take this step to wear masks to keep people safe, um, I think, you know, the outcome would have been much more positive. We would have saved uh, tens of thousands of lives and, and we wouldn't see the uptick in cases that we've seen, unfortunately, in Wisconsin in recent days and, and in so many other states around the country. The, I, the irony is that by ignoring it, he's extended it. And that's why you have states like yours went from three and a half percent unemployment to 12. Uh, that'll be part of the election as well. Mayor Eric Genrick, uh, thank you very much for being with us tonight. We're going to stay on your situation. You have an open invitation to give us the latest and what you need people to know at home and abroad whenever you want it. We'll be right Thanks back. Thanks so much for having me on. Take care. 10 o'clock straight up. That means it's time for CNN Tonight with D. Lemon. I tell you. 
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.